You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to the first DCAU Review of 2020. It's a brand new decade. I'm your host, Liam, and with me, as always, is your other host, Cal. And Cal, it's a new year, a new decade. We've got a new show. Well, not a new show, but a show different than what we were talking about last month to talk about. That's right. New month, new show, new year, new me, same me, <laughs> same story, same universe. Yes, that's right, uh, Liam. We, as we mentioned on last week's episode, we are starting the month of January, the new decade off with a trip back to the future. The future, Cal? That's right. Although, well, we did this bit already, but it's, that's right. We're back <laughs> in the we'll world. And we'll do it again. Don't you worry. <laughs> forever. For the three people that get the Conan O'Brien bit from 1996 that we do every single time. It's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's part of why we're so great here at the DCAU Review. Yeah. Just comedy gold like that. <laughs> yes, back to what we're talking about. We're in the world of Batman Beyond. Future Gotham is here. And we are talking about the next episode of Batman Beyond in order on the DVDs, and that would be Hidden Agenda. I feel I feel so old talking about DVDs because everything is streaming now, but <laughs> this is the, how we do things here. So yeah, it's it's a little bit yeah. Anytime we talk about, I mean, videotapes or something like that really make you feel old, but yeah, even DVDs now feel so archaic. That's right. Oh, this isn't Blu-ray. Um, no, we we haven't chilled out for the Blu-ray just no, yet. No, not not yet. Although I hear the the HD remakes of seasons two and three are coming soon to uh, the DC Universe streaming service, oh, which again D- <laughs> we're not paid to promote, but we absolutely would be if it was an, if it was on the table. If anybody can get us the hookup to be paid to promote that, we would just talk seriously. We would talk about it all day and night because it's just so good. Yeah, just uh... all the original content that's provided <laughs> on there at a low low price. Yes, introducing yeah, great for fans of old, young, and. <laughs> Middle-aged alike. An entire DC catalog at your fingertips. <laughs> Again, not probably to remote, but want to be. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but yes, this week's episode is Hidden Agenda, Liam. And this is a exciting episode because it introduces the character of Max and to the Batman Beyond world, who becomes a very, very important character throughout the rest of the series. Absolutely. And so we will get into the plot and our big picture thoughts on the whole episode but before we do, Cal, as I do every week, I have, in fact, copy and pasted the uh, IMDb synopsis for this episode into my notes, and I shall read them in my best uh, dramatic voiceover voice. Please and thank you. And this is for the episode, as you mentioned, Cal, Hidden Agenda, which was written by Hillary J. Bader and Sean McLaughlin and directed by Kurt Gaeta. And that synopsis reads as such. A girl genius finds herself unaccountably harassed by jokers at school, and she begins to suspect that Terry is responsible. Oh. <laughs> Which is actually a darn good one, as far as what the actual plot of this episode is. Spot on. Um, so yeah, as, as we introduce it as they're getting... It's not the SATs, Cal. It's the GATs. What do you think the G stands for, Liam? I mean, Gotham, I guess. But I don't know. The Gotham Aptitude Tests. 
Okay. Like, if you get a low enough score, you're like, well, you have to go work for the Riddler. Like, <laughs> like maybe that's it. It's like, you're the future criminals of this city. It's like, all right, well, you got a high score. You can work for Mr. Freeze. Oh, you got a low score. You got to work for Croc. Right. Um, I don't, or in this case, it would be like Spellbinder and Ink, I guess, or something. But <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not, not sure what the G stands for, but they're, they're comparing scores. Of course, Terry, who is never at school due to his being Batman. Uh, has an incomplete grade on it, but their friend Max, who I believe we saw in the background of one or two other episodes before here. Yeah, I believe so. But this is the big official introduction of her as, like, the main cast, as you mentioned. And uh, she got the perfect score uh, and has, in fact, somewhat drawn the ire of uh, Captain... uh, I don't know, he, he has the Letterman jacket, so I assume he's a jock and also a very smart boy named Carter Coleman who uh, thought he was on track to being the valedictorian, but in fact, with this perfect GAT store, Max has knocked him out of that spot. We see Carter uh, being berated by his mother for not forgetting an A I would use the word scolded. I don't yes. know if it was ber- berated. I feel like she would yell. She was doing that subtle thing that all parents do. In yeah. It was a very a, Lucille Bluth way of tearing down. The character looks like Lucille Bluth, too. True. So it's, yes. it, we'll talk about that in visuals. But yeah, it was a, it was a very backhanded. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tired trope that the, that the jock who, who, who is clearly very smart and has the parents. I, I don't know. Maybe this is real world and there are certain parents, but you can't get away from this character in any teen drama. There's always the parent who expects absolute perfection from their child and is disappointed in anything less than. Right. And so that's, and then also we find out because the episode actually starts, we should mention with uh, the Jokers and their new leader terminal uh, harassing this guy on the sub on the elevator subway and yeah. uh, Batman intervenes just as he's about to die. But so we find out very quickly that Carter Coleman is in fact this terminal. And so he and the Joker spend most of the episode just uh, sabotaging and vandalizing Hamilton Hill High. Do you think terminal because, you know, the Joker spelled the Jokers with the Z? Does he is that spelled a special way? Like, like is the, it the T is a seven or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe so. We never see it typed out. So we, we can't be sure. <laughs> Um, he's really only referred to as Terminal once, I think, in the episode. But it's clear he's the kind of the new Joker's boss, and well, at least for this sect. Yes, although we, I, yeah, I don't think we ever see him again. And we see him in like some comics, and actually, he's been brought back very recently in the uh, in the Batman Beyond Rebirth comics. So he's he's been around in other media, but as far as on the show, I'm pretty sure this is his one and only appearance. But anyway, he's in charge of this chapter of the uh, of the Joker gang. Um, and he is basically just using his gang to get revenge on Max in whatever way he can, which is mostly, it seems, just blowing up computers and <sighs> spray painting lockers. And he does try, they do like lead us, leave a spring loaded pie with a brick in it inside her locker. Um, but other than that, it's just they're just kind of generally harassing her. Um, and meanwhile, she has all, she's tell, we find out that Max has this, uh, uh, algorithm that she's running to try to figure out who Batman is because she's a genius. Because yes, she's very smart. And uh, and then once the Jokers start attacking the school, she decides to rework the program and have it f- try to figure out who the Jokers could be in the school. And what name would pop up on that list, Cal, but one Terry McGinnis? Oh man, what are the chances this computer program thinks that Terry is a Joker? Yeah, she had it close, but uh, 
yeah, from there, it's just kind of she accuses Terry of being a joker. She runs away. She runs afoul of the... She writes a letter to Terry telling him that she's going to expose his secret if she if he doesn't meet her. Uh, it's not really explained how the jokers knew she and Terry were going to be at the fountain in the, in the park or whatever. She just had a string of bad luck and yes. picked the one fountain where the jokers right. decided and, to hang out. Right, and... There, they there's a brief fight with her and and Batman, and we see that she actually has some chops herself. She's in a, in any way, a damsel in distress as she actually goes right in and fights the Joker's along with Batman, and then it's discovered that uh, that Carter is in fact terminal, and from there we get a little kind of epilogue where we find out that she does in fact realize that uh, she. She she did realize that Terry was leaving, leading a double life, but that, in fact, he was Batman and not a member of the Jokers, and that's sort of the ending. It, it feels like a real, like, this is designed to be, like, the new, like, a, a soft relaunch of the entire show, almost, because of how much this is focused on the high school characters. Agreed. Yeah, we, we mentioned that before, just briefly before we started going live here, but, yeah, it's... It's interesting. This episode does not feature Bruce Wayne at all. There's nope. no Bruce. Not even a voice over the the comlink. Right. Hundred percent Terry. It's all based. Everything happens at Hamilton Hill High. Everything. Everything yep. happens there. There's vandalism there. You see more of the school than you have in past past episodes. So yeah, it's a very interesting. And I think we read up that uh, there's there's at least a rumor or speculation that the the network had asked for a pivot at, away yes. from the the sort of dark overtones of the original first season and, and sort of geared towards the, the teenage crowd and to have a very, for lack of a better term, Spider-Man-esque, yes. at least like young Spider-Man-esque type idea, you know, Terry's trials and tribulations at Hamilton Hill. And it, this feels like, yeah, that that's the direction of this. This wouldn't be out of place, and don't get me wrong, I'm by no means slamming any of them, but this would not be out of place in one of the many, many WB or CW dramas in the yes. late 90s and early 2000s. It's, yeah, it's it just kind of fits that. This that... could be an episode of Riverdale. Yeah. <laughs> it was just missing Sexy Archie. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to drop the sexy Archie bomb. I know that's one of your favorites. Yeah, so, so yeah, I guess we get into to, uh, our, our plot scores here. Um, yeah, I, I didn't love the episode. I think that introducing more Joker's characters was was good. You know, flesh out that yeah. those characters a little bit. I think it was interesting uh, that they went the route of not keeping the Joker uh, Terminal's identity a secret and i think i don't think it's necessarily a bad choice but i think if you there would have been more tension as to who it was however by introducing a brand new character that always sticks out as a sore sore thumb unless you're doing a red herring type thing where you think it's supposed to be this person but it's actually this other person that that we just introduced so maybe if they had introduced this character wilson before what's his first name uh carter 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 wilson before then you know then maybe it would have been oh well now he's a joker but he wasn't it's a brand new character for this episode had not been previously introduced didn't really care about him, didn't really care that he was a Joker. It's hard to care about Max yet because she's a, sort right. of a brand new character also. 
Max is also close to discovering Terry's identity, which you're not rooting for. Why would you want somebody that you don't know is a good person right. to find out, you know, to find out Terry's identity? I mean, it works out in the end, and you kind of get the oh well. Now Terry has an ally. Also, can we talk about the fact that Max is going to be com- has willingly complicit in the <laughs> the Terry worst boyfriend in the world award? Yeah. So Terry, the biggest jerk in the world, didn't even bother to tell Dana why he no showed their date. The this night is before. fifty years from now. He didn't, couldn't send a text, right? An, e- an email. They talk FaceTime. about email a lot in this. In this, they, they have video phones. We right. saw that in this episode. <laughs> FaceTimed her. No, just didn't tell her what was going on because obviously in real life we know he was being Batman, but he doesn't tell her that. So as far as she knows, he has once again no showed their date for what we can only assume is the octillionth time. And <laughs> but never fear, Max will be complicit. Right, and now she's helping him be a terrible boyfriend to her by saying that, oh, I was supposed to babysit uh, Terry's little brother, but I had to cancel. Again, why wouldn't Terry just say, like, because if I was dating now, I'd be like, oh, Max and Terry are having an affair. Right, like, exactly. <laughs> right, that's my first thought. It's like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Wait, where, how do you know that he had to, right. uh, you know, oh. Why oh. are you covering for him and why didn't you text me and tell me that? Right. Like, <laughs> this is all still very shady, but poor Dana. Hashtag Dana deserves better. She really forever. does. Forever. Um, but anyway, yeah. So overall, I guess we can get into our scores here, Cal. I, like I said, I think it's an interesting episode. I think this, the, the idea of Terry being concerned like the mix of it, like he's concerned that his identity might be exposed, but he's also concerned for his friend's well-being. And I wish they had played a little bit more into that side of it. Um, but they, it, everything's kind of touched on in a very surface level way that I think, and part of that's, again, maybe that's the time constraints of a 22-minute cartoon. But regardless, I went with a 6 out of 10 for plot. Uh, I went uh, very similar. Similarly, that's a tough word to say. <laughs> I went five out of ten. Just yeah, it's it's an okay episode, but there's not one thing that's great in the episode, in my opinion. Nothing yeah. stands out as like, oh, that was great. The fight sequence at the end between the Joker's and Terry and Max is is the best part of the episode, in my yeah. opinion. But the stakes don't ever feel like there's. I mean. Terminal has a gun. That's the only reason why the stakes feel any any higher than normal. Like why Batman isn't just immediately wa- wiping the floor with all of these guys. Right, it, exactly. Especially when we've seen him take on big the the big slapper guy by himself. Right. And, the splicer monster. Right. All that stuff. It's like, oh, it's it's a teenager with a gun. Like, right. really? <laughs> really? This is giving you a hard time? You gotta have Max help you with that? Like, right. So, yeah, it's it's not great. I appreciate them introducing the character of Max, who definitely becomes a, a much more tolerable and, I oh, think, yeah. from my recollection, an enjoyable character later on, certainly as an ally. And uh, But, yeah, I, I think for not, not really fleshing this out and really the stakes not feeling ever high, you know, great at all, and, and really feeling conflicted because you're, you're really not rooting for Terry's identity to be exposed to anybody, let alone a character that they sort of are just fleshing out. Right. Uh, I gave this, gave it a five out of 10, very middle of the road for this episode. I think that's fair. Moving on from here, Cal, we will move on to our second category, which is visuals and animation. Um, I guess we can start off. There are brand new Joker's designs. These are all new for this episode. As far as I can remember, um, it's a whole new cast, as we mentioned. 
I like the terminal design. It's, you said it's it was very Marilyn Manson, mm-hmm. um, and I, I like that design of that or the I guess the misfits or you know something yeah. like that. Uh, but the, the sort of the goth clown, I thought that was a, a unique take because most of the other Jokers either look like they're cosplaying as Harley or Joker. Mm-hmm. So seeing like a completely different take on a you know a Joker gang, I think was fun. And the other the other uh, Jokers in the group were were cool too. They, I mean, it's just a guy in like a red jester costume, and then the girl with like the she has the pigtails and like a big like the big red cheeks and stuff like that. So I thought I thought the Joker's designs were cool. Um, as you mentioned though, in plot, like other than that, there's not much action in this episode. There's a, a, a kind of a cool scene where. Uh, Batman is chasing the Jokers. The Jokers are on motorcycles, and Batman's in the Batmobile. That's kind of a fun sequence, but I just didn't feel like there's not. And as you mentioned, the final scene's not that exciting. So, visuals were kind of a weird one for me to grade here. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. There's no bad visuals. Nobody mm-hmm. looked off model. I think if anything, people looked on model. Though they did that weird thing where Terry's upper lip was highlighted again for a lot of yeah. a lot of the episode. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, Max as a character is great, but and her, I guess her pink hair is supposed to make her look visually interesting. Yeah, but there's not a whole lot that stands out for her, and she kind of looks the same from my recollection going forward. Right. So that she's a newer character. The stuff in the school that I mean, there was, I mean, if you want to comment on the fact that they were sort of correct in predicting that there were going to be these giant computer screens everywhere certainly in schools going forward and and there's giant giant computers in every classroom and stuff for my uh you know nowadays in high schools or in in most high schools i should say but regardless there wasn't a whole lot visually interesting the batmobile does make an appearance as you mentioned in that chase scene so there was some cool bat you know Cool to see the Batmobile yeah. make an appearance, but really, other than that, and maybe in the opening scene with the 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 Joker's unleashing these killer dentures, yeah, the chattering, the chattering teeth, teeth. But with like they all have fangs, basically. That was a that was a neat that was a neat visual and mm-hmm. certainly a, a, a neat tool and a sort of a play on the old Joker. Joker usually had had some of those and yeah. and a gimmick or or two, so it was that was a cool play on play on that old trick, but. Yeah, not a whole lot of interesting here visually, so I, I just went with a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right in that same ballpark. I went seven out of ten. Like I said, I think it's good. It's fine. There's nothing. Uh, like I said, there's nothing super stand out about any of the actual action other than that Batmobile scene. But uh, yeah, certainly not a not a bad visual episode uh, by any standards. Yeah. And moving on from there, Cal, we will talk about our third category, which is music. And the music in this episode was done by the legend Shirley Walker. Um, that being said, uh, there was not a lot of noticeable <laughs> music in this episode, and part of that maybe is because it's such a character driven story. They let the music hang back, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but. There's not, I mean, there's some, other than in those couple of fight scenes and sort of some good atmospheric moments when Max is walking through the empty school at night and and then the music kind of swells when, like, the robot janitor devices are shooting acid at her before Batman swoops in to save her. But I didn't really notice any 
I had very little to say about music, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's some tension building music in the scene where she's she's there at the high school at night, and they, they flash back at when the Joker's gang tells Batman that they left their leader back at the high school. So there's some tension building music there, and certainly with the, like you said, with the, the janitor robots that are going to shoot acid at Matt, which, I mean, at Max, which is not a sentence that I thought I would ever say, I think. Um, but yeah, and I think the battle, the fi- I mean, the, the final battle scene between between uh, the Jokers and, and Batman and, and Max has some good, solid Batman Beyond music. It's mm. not, there's nothing, certainly nothing memorable about it. It's just sort of your basic rock, rock guitars in the background. Um, playing for my recollection, but yeah, n- nothing super super exciting. Um, which it's not bad, but we've talked about it before. How there are episodes like this that are maybe middle of the road, or the plot isn't so great, and the the score is brought up because there is music that allows it to you know almost become a part of the story or or brings that that interest level up or or uh you know be making it more memorable so um again nothing terrible in this episode but nothing stood out uh so i went with a with a five out of ten and i am in that same exact range as i also gave it a five out of (laughs) ten reminder we never discuss our scores before (laughs) we go on the air just kind of happens to work out most of the time there you go and that will bring us to our final category, Cal. We have, of course, voice acting to talk about. Not a big cast this week. We do have some some minor players um, who obviously play like the the Jokers, like Omar Gooding, who I believe has already already done some voices on the show uh, as uh, as the uh, as the male Joker. That's not terminal. But then uh, <laughs> our, the two the two big uh, one becoming, I guess, part of our main cast now is. Cree Summer as Max Gibson, um, who's, I mean, you know her, I think you know her voice if you've watched maybe more than one cartoon (laughs) in your life, you've probably heard her voice, uh, so I think, I think she's really good as Max, though, because I, I think of her in a lot of roles, she does a very boisterous, like, over-the-top character, character that yells and is real silly, and here she's very toned down and is uh, very... And that place of the character, I think, is that she's supposed to be, like, really cool and smart and, uh, you know, doesn't take no no crap from anybody. And I, th- I think she does a good job. Um, the other uh, notable voice actor in this episode, besides, uh, obviously, as we mentioned, there is no Kevin Conroy in this episode. Um, Will Friedle does a fine job as Terry McGinnis. Mm-hmm. Um we have, of course, we also have Lauren Tom as Dana. Hashtag Dana deserves better. <laughs> and but the the main voice actor, as far as villains go, this week playing Terminal slash Carter, it's a little unknown. Well, well, I mean, he's he's really not a yeah, known speaking actor. Speaking of the WB, um, <laughs> it's in fact Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> uh, and it's weird. We've talked about this in other episodes before. Heart of Ice comes to mind, where Mark Hamill plays. Um, Ferris Boyle. Ferris Boyle, thank you. Um, and obviously at the time that he recorded that voice, he hadn't been cast as the Joker yet. So it's not... And he's not bad as that character, but you know who it is, and it's weird to hear him do a voice that is the voice you know him as. Yep. And it's the same kind of thing here with Michael Rosenbaum, where, yes, he played this role before he was the Flash, um, but you know him as the Flash, and... 
he doesn't really do like an overt different voice. Like it, when he voices Ghoul and does his his Christopher Walken or his Deadshot, which is a uh, uh, now retroactively problematic Kevin Spacey impression. <laughs> Um, here it's basically just Michael Rosenbaum doing his normal voice, maybe a little bit like raspier or toned down, but he sounds like the flash and that's kind of weird. Agreed. And not only that, but he does not sound like a teenage boy, (laughs) (laughs) which is who he's supposed to be playing here. Right. He sounds like a, a 30 year old man. And with the character design that they did for terminal, which I, we, you know, we've touched on briefly as a, as a cool design. I kept, but it's also visually similar enough to Ghoul because mm-hmm. they both have that single colored skin with a black black around the eyes. Mm-hmm. It and they're both Jokers, yes. <laughs> mind you. Yeah. So, is there some sort of fan theory out there that that Terminal is actually Ghoul? That we, uh, we talked about we, that. I, I will say that Ghoul's real name has. Carter somewhere in it. Uh, it's interesting. like his middle name or something. Interesting. So okay. it could be like his cousin, <laughs> his little brother or something. Both uh, named that's, Carter. That's, yeah, that's something that could be explored in future Batman Beyond comics or there, something. There we go. Uh, hey, regardless, uh, it, yeah, it visually it's a little bit distracting, like you said. Even and Michael Rosenbaum does does a great voice. You know, we've we've talked about before the fact that he's a good voice actor. His flash is different than his ghoul or his dead shot or his you know or anybody else that he plays right. uh who else he plays we talked about this dr polaris i believe yes. right his dr polaris yes. even so that there there's always a different nuance to it and this is like you said just sort of him talking is him he does not sound like a 16 year old boy <laughs> and sounds vis- like les luthor from smallville yeah honestly. yeah exactly he doesn't do a bad job i just think that retroactively like you said it's difficult to not hear oh it's any of these other characters when right. you're when you're watching it so maybe maybe just maybe they in the future if, if they are doing any more dcau or you know my Take this advice from me, DC execs. <laughs> Maybe don't cast the same guy five or six times in the same for different roles in your next shared universe, right. because this could become problematic when there are two young men doing a show uh, reviewing <laughs> your reviewing your cartoon twenty years in the future. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a little bit a uh, little bit distressing. That being said, like I said, so in what otherwise might have been a very strong voice acting category, it made it, like I said, very hard for me to rate because hearing that such a familiar voice in not a familiar role kind of threw me off. So I kind of split the difference. I went seven out of 10 for voice acting. Like I said, I think everyone is good. Generally. I like Cree summer as max. I think will does a fine job as, as Terry in this episode. Although again, he doesn't have uh, a ton to do because it's mostly just him reacting to whatever's going on with Max and and uh, and Terminal. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's good, but like I said, that that distracting bit took took my score down certainly. Yeah, uh, I went six out of ten. I would say that the best performance comes in that final scene, the sort of the epilogue where Terry and and Max are discussing, and it's funny because Terry tells Max that you know her pro this program that she had designed that figured out who batman was essentially yeah uh or narrowed down who who batman could have been has already been wiped out because mm-hmm. bruce has already taken care of it yeah 
but uh, that scene, that sort of discussion piece between the two of them, and then even though I totally and wholeheartedly disagree with their, you know, collusion in in deciding to pull the wool over Dana's eyes because Dana deserves better, as we all know. Yep, Uh, she, you know, that the 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 back and forth where she says not to call her Robin and he calls her Alfred, I thought was was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty witty. It was it was a good good little turn there because you know that naturally the fans at the time and certainly anybody that's watching is like, oh, she's going to become Robin because she she wears yellow and black and has you know pinkish reddish hair all that. They're laying the groundwork for Robin. She's like, nope, I'm not going to be Robin. Right. (laughs) So you don't have to worry about that. So. Yeah, I I, uh, I I gave it, in case I didn't mention, I gave voice acting a, uh, a 6 out of 10. Very good, and that will bring us to our final scores here, Cal. I have a, I don't know, the score feels a little harsher than because I don't think we hated this episode as we talked about. There's certainly mm-hmm. some good there. But my final score was a 25 out of 40. Uh, yeah, mine, mine is on the lower scale of things, too. Uh, totaling everything up comes out to 22 out of 40, so just a tad lower than you had scored. And it's interesting because as I was thinking about this episode, and, and I guess we can talk about rewatchability, I don't, I don't know. This isn't mandatory viewing. Yeah. This is one of those that falls into the... If you if you got an extra twenty two <laughs> minutes and want to watch it because it does further it sort of resets the tone as we said because if you start watching season one and then you just jump to the middle of season two yeah. you're going to be very confused by the tone yes. and the, the like if you if you went from watching the original you know the the Mister Freeze and the meltdown episode yeah and then you jump to Egg Baby <laughs> you, you're going to be like this is not the same show right. Um, so you're right. I think this is a good launching point for that kind of reset of the tone and the, certainly the things that are covered in the topics and, and the idea behind the, the show. But with that said, I don't know that it's mandatory viewing. No, I mean, like, obviously it is, like we said, it's not the official first appearance. It is Max's first episode where she's focused on. But it's not as if you can't really pick up the two or three plot points you need from this going forward if you see max in another episode she's smart she's good with computers and she knows that terry is batman that's kind of all you need to know so if you know those things you could probably skip this one and not have a problem uh but like 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 we've mostly said here it's, it's not a terrible episode or anything it's not like oh never watch this again it's certainly not going in the bad episode jar it's not yeah it's not a bad episode it's not a skip it but it's not a. you need to rush out and see this episode yeah. immediately and one final thing we forgot to mention in visuals, I just wanted to mention, is that at one point Matt, uh, Matt Terry's brother, comes into the room uh, playing with uh, toy spaceships, and one of them happens to be Baby Kal-El's uh, rocket ship from Last on a Krypton Park. Yeah, one. that was a neat, nice, uh, neat little Easter egg that you picked up on. Um, you're like, that ship looks like Kal-El's, and sure enough, it is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a little, little inside Easter egg joke there for him. Yeah, that was cool. And that will bring us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening so much. Uh, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us both at the same handle, at DCAUReview on those sites. Uh, I will always be tweeting about the next episodes we'll be reviewing, uh, other things going on in the world of DC and animation. Uh, same with our Instagram. And, of course, head to our website at DCAUReview.com if you're a newer listener to our show. First of all, thanks. Second of all, uh, be sure to check out our archives where Cal has it broken down by category. If you want to hear all our Batman Beyond episodes, if you want to hear episodes about certain villains or characters, it's broken down real easy. You can uh, you can find what you're looking for very quickly. 
So that will wrap us up here. Until next week, I'm Liam. And I'm Cal. And we'll be back with another episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.